Today on Not Cleared, we have a bit of a different episode. We're going to be playing the audio back of a webinar that the center's Mike Waller, who is no stranger to this podcast, just had with Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. And they had an hour-long, very interesting, thought-provoking conversation talking about the January 6th incidents and the investigations that have taken place and are still going on after that. And they get into a bunch of other things the bias of the media, COVID vaccines, vaccine mandates, and a bunch of other national security topics that you all are used to hearing us talk about on this podcast. So without further ado, here is the conversation between Mike Waller and Senator Ron Johnson. Welcome to the Center for Security Policy podcast on national security. We're here today with Senator Ron Johnson who is the ranking Republican on the Senate Subcommittee on Investigations, who has been the lead uh, independent uh, questioner of the investigations of what happened on January 6th, as well as uh, one of the key members of the Senate, if not the key member of the Senate, raising questions about COVID policy and its effect on our society, as well as our national security. My name is Michael Waller of the Center for Security Policy, so we're gonna spend the next hour just talking about these issues. Thank Thanks for joining us. And, Welcome uh, to my office. Thank you. It was, it's the first time I've ever had to cut, be told by the Capitol Police that the public building is closed, that I'm not free to come into the building anymore. So it was kind of a shock to come in here today and, and, and be blocked. Okay, you don't look particularly dangerous to me, so. Well, is there a threat level anymore? Uh, you know, unfortunately, in today's society, there's always a threat level. So right. you, you had to be conscious of security. It's unfortunate. Okay. Because it, it comes across as more like a prop, but we won't get into that just now. Uh, uh, but I'm glad to have you here. You've you've been um, the, the number one person in the Senate saying something about this January sixth narrative is wrong. Uh, there, there's there's more to it than meets the eye. People aren't asking questions. Um, what do you have to say now, ten months later, of how the investigation is going and uh, who's behind? What happened that day? Well, first of all, I, I always have to start with, uh, I condemned the violence. I, I found, you know, particularly when we saw it uh, described during the impeachment trial when we had the, the videos, you know, the very nicely edited video. I mean, the, the, the violence was repugnant. The racial slurs were repulsive. And so, you know, I, I condemned it on that day. You know, when I came back from uh, the Senate chamber, had, after we'd been locked in, came back here to my office and started watching it on, on the TV, and you, you certainly got a glimpse of it. But at the same time, we also saw the people who entered the Capitol, and they shouldn't have done that. Uh, but the ones that entered the Capitol, we, we were seeing on CNN people staying within the rope lines. Uh, so when I kept hearing this term, you know, an armed insurrection, and thousands of armed insurrectionists. Kind of, where, where, where'd they get that from? Uh, it, 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 that is not what a armed insurrection undertaken by thousands of armed insurrectionists would have looked like. Uh, so w whenever I hear a false narrative, I just kind of naturally push back on it. Uh, I had also made news that I didn't intend, intend to make uh, just by stating what I thought was kind of the obvious that uh, storefronts in major metropolitan areas didn't board up prior to the, the 2020 election in case Joe Biden won. You know, they boarded up in case there was a, a Trump victory. 
And so I made a similar comment that uh, uh, made news, very similar comment. I said, well, you know, on January 6th, I, I really never felt threatened, because it was the truth. I never felt threatened. Not, not going into January 6th, even though I knew there were tens of thousands of protesters, uh, exercising their First Amendment right to petition the government, the freedom of speech, you know, trying to convince people like me to vote the way they want us to vote. I mean, that's, that's their right. But because I had attended many, many Trump rallies, I knew who Trump supporters were. They're people that are God-fearing, by and large. They love this country. They're big supporters of law enforcement. They wouldn't even think of breaking a law. I mean, that's, that is the vast majority of Trump supporters. That's who is coming here protesting. I didn't fear them. And then I just made the, the extension. Now, had that been you know, the, the summer protesters, now I actually use the, the names which I won't use again because it got me in trouble. But you know, had, had that been the rioters that took place in more than 570 riots, you know, a couple thousand law enforcement officers being injured. I mean, I've, I've seen the video of, of bodies laying in a heap, you know, being beaten by those summer rioters. I said, you know, I might have been a little concerned. And that, that's what I said, pretty innocuous statement, quite honestly. And that blew up into, you know, Ron Johnson's a racist. And, you know, so, so again, I, I was, I've been pushing back on the false narratives. And it's important to do that because I think just for historical purposes, the American public really needs to know what happened on January 6th. Again, the violence, repugnant. The, the racial slurs, repulsive. I condemn them. I want to see those people that engage in those acts prosecute the full extent of the law. But I want them, I want the justice to be administered equally as well between the summer rioters and the people engaged in those acts of violence. And I don't want people that showed up just peacefully uh, engaging in their First Amendment rights to be harassed or prosecuted or put on terrorist watch lists and that type of thing as well. So that, that's why it's important to have the truth be told on this. Yeah, and even the, uh, well, you, you asked the question of the FBI Assistant Director for Counterterrorism, what she thought, and she even said this was set up by a small group of organizers with a large number of people just trespassing out-of-towners who didn't really know what they were getting mixed up with, or well, words to that effect. I, I asked her, again, our, thousands of armed insurrections. I asked her, well, how, how many firearms were confiscated either on the Capitol grounds or in the Capitol? I didn't know what the answer was going to be. For all I know, it was going to be 300. She said zero. Uh, kind of a mic drop moment. It sort of laid waste the, the narrative of thousands of armed insurrectionists. Now, again, we, we do know the summer protesters did show America how you can use a flagpole or you know, frozen water bottles and turn those into a weapon. But again, when most people think of armed, they think of firearmed. But an important point to make that's not made very often is, why was that narrative of thousands of armed insurrectionists, why was that adopted so easily on a bipartisan basis? I think I have the answer on that, is those responsible for providing a security plan when you're going to have tens of thousands of protesters, uh, the fact that they didn't have an adequate plan. I mean, in your eyewitness account, you said you, you didn't see any police officers on the west side of the Capitol. Knowing that tens of thousands of people are going to be coming up there protesting, there were no police officers present. So those that were responsible, uh, Capitol Hill police leadership, uh, the sergeant at arms, the congressional leadership, those are responsible for securing the capital in that situation. I mean, they get let off the hook if the narrative takes hold that there were thousands of armed insurrectionists. I mean, what, what could they possibly have done 
to secure the capital, prevent this breach in the face of thousands of armed insurrectionists. So I think that's one of the reasons this has taken hold. And of course, you know, the media, the social media, uh, they are the communication department of the Democrat Party, and it works for them as well, I mean, politically. Yeah. So again, it, it just on a bipartisan basis, it just works for a lot of people. So that's, that's why that narrative, that false narrative took hold. It's one of the reasons I was trying to push back on it, because it's completely false. I think the American people deserve the truth. Yeah. Now, just for transparency for our viewers, I was at the, at the protest on the west front of the Capitol, and I wrote my eyewitness account for the Center for Security Policy about a week later, and then the Federalist published it, and then you found it, and you raised it at the hearings. And, I and entered into the record. It entered into the record, and it was accepted by unanimous consent as eyewitness evidence, right, until, until certain of your colleagues... Well, until, until they heard like was it was actually in it, the truth, the truth to push back down the narrative they wanted to promote... And so, yeah, the, the chairwoman of the, uh, of the select committee or the special committee, the combined committee, uh, went out before the cameras right after the hearing and said, oh, here goes Senator Johnson again, you know, entering a conspiracy theory into our record. No, I, I entered. But she didn't I, enter it. Into, I, she and, didn't object, right? I, it was I unanimous entered, Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of beside the point. The, the point being is I entered a truthful eyewitness account, and why were they so resistant to it? Why, why are people so resistant to hearing the truth. You know, why, do, why have we come to a point in this country where censorship is not only accepted, it's being promoted? What, what, why are people afraid of the truth? All, all I'm ever trying to do is just, here's the truth. You know, certainly the truth is, is as I see it. If, if, you, if you want to challenge what I'm saying, go ahead and challenge it. You know, we should have freedom of speech, but we don't in this country anymore. Whether it's on January 6th, whether it's on the vaccine, vaccine injuries, uh, COVID in general, uh, this is a very dangerous point we've reached in our country where we, we don't, too many of us don't even value freedom of speech. They're pushing back on it. They want to limit it. Yeah, and then you get also uh, certain, there can be many truths depending on where one's standing at a certain point. So, so what I saw was different from what other people saw, but it all blends together. And then what you saw was, so they're all different truths, but it's like the, the, the lead investigators on this don't want those facts that disrupt their narrative. They're not interested in them. They no, they're not. Um, and certainly from what I've tried to do since January 6th when we started investigating this right away, uh, but I'm not a committee chairman, so I don't have all those, those powers, but all I've been trying to do is put together a complete and accurate record of what happened so, so we know. Uh, so I sent my investigators into uh, Capitol Police where they were able to view videos until they're kind of like not able to anymore. Uh, but, you know, we, we're just trying to uncover, okay, I, I've described it as, let's kind of put together like a Civil War battle description. You know, where, 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 yeah, where, where were the points of conflict? How many people were engaged in those cons, points of conflict? How long did it last? Again, just to let people know. Uh, as a result, uh, my investigators uh, noticed that there was a West Terrace door that was opened. You know, they, they allowed, the Capitol Police allowed somebody to exit through those doors. We still don't know who, who exited. But once the door was open, over 300 people streamed in. No, no violence associated with it. They just came to the Capitol. My guess is those are certainly some of the people that were walking and staying within the rope lines. Again, you wouldn't think armed insurrectionists would respect the velvet rope lines. But they were. Right. You wouldn't expect armed insurrectionists would be uh, 
encouraging people to remain peaceful. You know, they'll work with us as long as you know, we have to remain peaceful, remain calm. And there's all kinds of video that's, that's showing that. It just doesn't get shown in the mainstream media. You've got to, you've got to look to alternate sites. You've got to go to Tucker Carlson and, and, and see what actually happened in the summer riots, the, the repugnant and repulsive violence and, and assaults on individuals that were leaving bodies in, in crumpled breakage. Uh, you have to go to like, Tucker Carlson to see that, and then, then he gets, there's threats to trying to take him off of Fox News. Yeah. Pe- people, are, people are afraid of the truth. Did you see Tucker's Patriot Purge documentary? I did, yeah. And I, I thought what was interesting about that is it did confirm parts of your eyewitness account where you were saying that the crowd was there kind of milling about, and it wasn't really until they started firing tear gas that, first of all, the crowd was very puzzled by it, according to your testimony. It's like, what are you doing? We're your friends. I mean, we're not a threat. And that seemed to kind of rile up the crowd. And that was, you kind of see where, where there was maybe an initial surge of people, and maybe those agent provocateurs you were talking about, and there's a separation. Everybody else was back there and saying, no, don't go in the town. I mean, a lot of people saying, don't go in the Capitol. But then there were some people up on towers going forward, you know, in your Iowa's account. Do not retreat. Mm-hmm. Just kind of odd. What, what was all that about? Yeah. You know, people that as knew we how to control to a crowd. Because we were afraid of a stampede of people as the tear gas was coming in. There was no way out of that confined area. And one of the provocateurs, he was standing on a stone wall section and he grabbed me by the shoulder he's swearing at me saying do not leave do not retreat I'm like why do you care yeah. and then well th- somebody's organizing this violence this is scripted and then the more video you look at the more you can even the washington post had that great crowdsourced video project where they were trying to prove their narrative if you look at it you can actually identify the organized units who came with identical tactical gear and different color tape on their helmets and on their packs and so forth. So the more you look at this video, the more you can identify uh, units and preparation and organization and provocateurs to completely deflate the narrative that's been coined. But it's so it's been so difficult to put the truth together because first of all, how your eyewitness account was treated, you know, immediately termed a, a conspiracy theory. But also, but, but, but also the way the, the FBI has doggedly pursued anybody that was basically in Washington, D.C. You know, early morning raids with SWAT teams, that type of thing. Uh, so people are not willing to come forward with their videos. They don't want to be identified. So as, as much as I've tried to solicit that, uh, people, they were here in the Capitol. They just kind of want that forgotten. They, they don't want to be noticed. So it, it is going to be difficult. Now, maybe over time, maybe once... The, the people who have been arrested or you know, uh, charged once, once they're prosecuted. And I, it's going to be interesting to follow those trials, by the way. Uh, there have been a few plea agreements. It's, it's interesting to, to see some of the plea agreements going you know, downgraded from a felony to a petty misdemeanor of what unlawful parading, I think, was one of them. Parading, is it? Um, yeah, yeah, again, uh, I'm not defending people that enter the Capitol. As no, a matter of fact, a I, was on a, I was on a radio show that day during, during the midst of the breach, and one of the radio talk show hosts from Wisconsin, who the, by the way, whose Capitol was breached and occupied for days. I can't remember exactly. It might have even been weeks. And that was okay, because they were the right kind of Protesters, yeah, they, they, were, they were from the left, okay, so that was okay. I mean, they could vandalize the Capitol, that's okay. Uh, this just happened to be the wrong people 
occupying the people's house. But at this rodeo, rodeo talk show host, because of what happened in Madison, say, well, I hope they get in there. I hope they, they do a sit-in. And that's the people's house. And I said, no, that's, that's right to park company with you. No, that people should not be entering the Capitol. Uh, so, so again, I was on record, but I don't get credit for <laughs> like the, the, the actual things I say. You know, people just conjure up and put the, the worst possible spin. They'll take things out of context. That's, that's kind of the, where we're at in media today. Well, so look at, let's look at what you've been saying since the beginning, that this seems to be organized. It wasn't a, a presidentially incited riot where well, the that, president... That's, that's what you said from your eyewitness testimony. All I've done is I've just allowed your testimony to stand on its own. I, again, to this day, I don't know exactly what happened. I'm just searching for the truth. I, I'm just trying to encourage people, if you've got video, if you've got a story to tell, come tell it so we can assemble in the end, a historical record of what actually happened versus the false narratives out there right now. Well, those narratives have been, the president incited it, it was a spontaneous riot. Well, that narrative has been knocked down. Even the, the, Fed, the Justice Department says that somebody organized some of this in advance. Even people on the left say that. And then insurrection narrative. Well, there are federal statutes about insurrection being a crime, yet of all the people charged, who has been charged with insurrection? I guess unlawful parading is close. <laughs> we, so, well, so even the Biden DOJ under Merrick Garland has not seen any evidence to charge somebody with insurrection. And then terrorism. Well, we have lots of terrorism-related statutes. Why hasn't anybody been charged with that? So all of the narratives, as the evidence is showing, are being knocked down one by but, one. But they're not but they're still being put forward. Yeah. Now, I, I, I have noticed they haven't used armed insurrection recently. It's just insurrection, insurrectionists. So, but, so they're still promoting this. And the same thing with the Russian collusion hoax. After, after the Mueller report, once the, the, uh, Michael Horowitz issued his Pfizer report, um, it's pretty obvious that the FBI investigation was thoroughly corrupt that they knew that the Steele dossier contained Russian disinformation, and yet you don't get retractions from the mainstream media. Now, finally, the Washington Post very quietly retract one story. But my guess is a large percentage of the American public still believe that the, Russia, that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia, and that's been a proven fact. Right. And that, you know, but it's just not. I mean, there, there's, a whole, there's a great article by Gerard Baker in the Wall Street Journal this week where he just lays out all of these major false stories promoted by the mainstream media that e even if you don't really pay attention to the news, it's been repeated, these stories, these false stories have been repeated so often. And the, the, of course, the, the, the granddaddy of all those is the Russian collusion hoax, that the American public have just accepted it by the drive-by media. And as I think it was Ray Donovan once said, well, what, what window do you go to to get your reputation back? You know, what, what window do we go to to get the truth back so the media has pushed all these false narratives. And when I say pushed, I mean pushed. So that even citizens that don't really follow the news are aware of these falsehoods. They believe it's the truth. And that's still driving our politics. So I've said this repeatedly. No, no, no matter what involvement China or Russia might have had in interfering with the election, what the media and the social media have done in terms of interfering in our elections have had a far greater impact. They, they got a candidate who wouldn't even leave his basement elected. 
you know, calling him this moderate, you know. Uh, so, so no, I mean, it's, it's, this, this, is, this is, we are in such a bizarre world here uh, in America today, and it, it should frighten every American. Yeah, and then the same people pushing these false narratives that you mentioned don't want to blame China and the Chinese Communist Party for the virus that's been plaguing all of us, killing us, wrecking our livelihoods. The, the one entity in the world that these people on the left don't want to hold accountable, and not just lefties either, is the Chinese Communist Party. Why is that? Oh, it's puzzling, but the, the Chinese Communist Party is very strategic in the investments they make. Whether it's geo, you know, geopolitically uh, in their Belt and Road Initiative, or when it's the, the funds they provide to universities, the funds they provide to medical journals, the, the funds they provide all over the place. They're, they're very strategic in how they do it. And of course, they also uh, have 1.4 billion people as a potential market for all these big corporations uh, or, and or organizations. And so that's, that's why you, you see the NBA not willing to buck the CCP. Uh, incredibly influential, and 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 they are, uh, they are very strong at pushing back and, and enforcing their viewpoint. I mean, they're, they're very persistent that way. They they don't let, they don't allow dissent. It's, it's not, not part, it's, it's, it's not part of their culture. It's certainly yeah. not part of their political environment. They do not allow consent. So or uh, dissent. Uh, and so we have to take that into account. Yeah, so it's like our own society, though, is not allowing that dissent either because, for example, in the military, you would always do a red team approach, or not always, but you try to think of what would the enemy be doing? Let's get into their heads and think of what the enemy's doing so we can understand them and fight them. Has there been any red team approach on the uh, January 6th investigation? That would only be me. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know, people are actually so. looking into it that, that want the truth. But no, I mean, there's there's a group think here. I, I think personally, it's a big cover up for those that really should be, have been responsible for capital security, not having a, a, an adequate security plan. I, my personal opinion, the capital breach never should have occurred. I mean, they had the, what they call the bicycle fencing, the bicycle racks. Right. You know, you man that with adequate manpower, and you're not going to have a breach. If there would have been an altercation somewhere, you could have stamped it down. You could, again, you can have layers of, of defense. Again, you got tens of thousands of people coming here. You know, tens of thousands of people a little upset that you, know, you had a corrupt FBI investigation. Uh, there, were all, there were all kinds of irregularities in the election that are just being blown off by the courts. They wouldn't even look at evidence. Again, I've, I've listed all these reasons why I understand why Trump supporters were pretty frustrated. Uh, the press hates them. Uh, the press has promoted all these false stories. They never retract them. Uh, Trump supporters know their false narratives, and they just cost their, their guy an election. So, they're, they're so you, ought to be, you ought to be prepared for the fact that you've got 10,000 people a little upset, and be prepared. But you can also, and this is what I was counting on, is these are people that, that respect law enforcement, and all you have to is show, a little show of force, and a adequate security plan would have, you know, recognized the provocateurs that we've now seen on camera that you were pointing out in your eyewitness testimony, 
and they could have handled identified them. by name. Yeah, and that's a weird thing. The one from Arizona who was featured on Tucker's documentary, he's videoed the night before trying to provoke people to attack the Capitol, and they're all denouncing him as Fed, 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 and then a video of him the next day leading the push against the first small outer perimeter of those bicycle fences at the Capitol Police right there too. And there's been no FBI interest in him. No, the, the FBI is doing early morning raids to people that just were in D.C. and you know, tra traced him by their cell phones. They're not questioning this guy? We don't know anything about him? Yeah. No, it's, it's, again, it's bizarre. It's why I, I led an effort, uh, had uh, four, at least four of my colleagues write to uh, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, say, okay, well, just tell, describe to us how you've handled the summer rioters you know, versus how you've handled and you know the the nth degree you've gone to investigating January 6. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see some equal application of justice. Again, I'm, I'm condemning the violence on both sides. But, right. but if you really want to take a look at where more violence occurred, where more law enforcement was injured, where more property damage occurred, that was in the 570 plus summer riots that now we're just supposed to sweep under the rug and instead proclaim that what happened on January 6 as repulsive as it was, was the, the greatest threat to democracy in history. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just not buying it. It's just not an accurate portrayal. But I understand it's it serves the purpose of the Democrats. It serves the purpose of the media, the social media. And that's why we have it. Well, if it's the greatest threat since the Civil War, or whatever, War of 1812, whatever they're calling it, then why aren't they looking at everything and, and not trying to silence other evidence? I mean, it's real evidence that they don't want to see. Well, you see Kenosha, okay? Yeah. Uh, you see how that, how that downtown burned. Uh, you know, uh, the report over over 100 businesses. Uh, you know, significant destruction. And, you know, I think more than two or three dozen. You know, burned to the ground. Um, now, had we had even a fraction of that in the Capitol, we wouldn't have been back in voting or debating uh, later that night. I mean, that just proves it. I mean, this, this delayed our proceedings by, I don't know, five, six, seven hours. Um, that's, that's not what the result of an armed insurrection would have been. Right, that's disruption of an illegal proceeding, which is a crime, which, but it's, it's not which, a Which I condemn and you know, right. prosecute and stuff, but let's, let's, not, blow, let's, yeah. not, let's not blow this out of proportion. Let's also keep it in perspective of what we ought to be concerned about, that right now there's a trial going on in Kenosha and there are people massing outside the courthouse. And again, we're not concerned about riots. If it's the plea that I guess the crowd wants, we're only concerned about riots in case this young man is acquitted. And I generally don't comment on judicial proceedings, but I've seen a fair amount of the highlights of that trial. And I can certainly understand where a jury might come back and say, that is self-defense. Um, yeah. We shouldn't be. We certainly shouldn't be even contemplating rioting in case that is the verdict of this jury. Jury or the the judge grants a dismissal because of prosecutorial misconduct. And then and threatening of jurors. Yeah, the intimidation. There was a that came out today yeah, that some jurors might feel threatened to acquit. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? If I was just an ordinary person and didn't know, absolutely, yeah, no, I'd be scared it, it, to death. I, I don't. I don't see. I don't see how this really can be a fair trial at this point. Yeah. So, so it's kind of a pattern that we're seeing nationwide. It's, it's like our country has been swept with this 
psychosis of some sort, that evidence doesn't matter, rules and laws don't matter, procedure doesn't matter, due process doesn't matter, uh, uh, clean voting doesn't matter, it's sort of like the Constitution doesn't matter. Well, again, it, it only ma those things only matter if you're conservative, and they can use the law against a conservative. If, you, if you're a liberal, if you're a Democrat, I will look the other way. Because your misbehavior, you're occupying the state capital in Madison, your vandalism there, that's okay, that's accepted. Or, or 570 riots in the summer, it's for a good cause. Let's, let's look the other way. Let's enter into these uh, uh, prosecutorial uh, agreements where we just let people out. Let's encourage, for example, bail uh, without bail. You know, just release of, of these uh, rioters without bail at all. Let, let's encourage that. Let's, or let's encourage, as political figures, let's encourage people to donate to the bail funds to get these rioters bailed out of jail. Yeah. As opposed to January 6th, lock, lock them up and throw away the key. Put, put, put them in a jail that is, is kind of so abusive that all the other prisoners have been transferred to another jail, but the 44 January 6th prisoners are still in that same jail that's been emptied out of other prisoners. Yeah, this is the kind of thing where you've, Judge Royce Lambert, Reagan appointee, really tough law and order judge, who's handling a lot of these cases, ordered that, ordered the U.S. Marshals to investigate the D.C. jail conditions and saw conditions there that, that on human rights grounds in a, in a banana republic would be unacceptable. I mean, we cut off aid to third world countries that had jails like that that were treating people that way, denying them water for days denying them sewage, sewer system, you know, toilet services for days, denying them uh, edible food and, and, and all of these other things as a punitive measure, as well as just the crappy condition of such a jail anyway. This, this is how countries get sanctioned. So, so again, he cleared all the other prisoners out of that jail, except for 44 January 6th prisoners. Go, go figure. He freed about 400, or he moved them to another facility, but, but not, not that. Not, not 44. Wow. I mean, that's, that's the information we have. Wow. Now, back on your investigation of January 6th, have you, what roadblocks have you run into? Well, somebody, not us. Somebody, somebody released some of the video that uh, Capitol Police allowed my staff to, to view, so we were blocked for a certain point in time. Uh, we, we got kind of what we wanted. I'm, I'm not sure what our access is, that, that video anymore. I don't think we had access to all the video we wanted. Um, but I think our biggest roadblock is, again, the intimidation by the FBI going after anybody who was here, whether they entered the, the Capitol or whether they were peacefully protesting. It scared everybody. So they're, they're all intimidated. They, they don't want to come forward with their, their videos off of their phones and stuff. So we're, we're just, it's difficult for us to gather information because people just want to be left alone. And I, yeah. I completely understand that. But that's, again, that's a product of the intimidation of, of how the Justice Department is handling January 6th as opposed to, you know, how they've handled the summer riots. Yeah. After you highlighted my piece in The Federalist, I got tons of offers of information from a lot of other people who were there saying that their accounts were very similar, if not identical to mine. Uh, some of them offering camera footage, some of them saying, they would love to talk to the authorities, but they're afraid. Yeah. They said, how can, I, how can I provide information? And I said, well, first, you have to lawyer up. You just can't do a citizen's duty anymore. You've got, they'll, they'll nail you. Or you're at risk of being nailed just by coming forward, so you have to get a lawyer. And they said, well, I can't afford a lawyer. I'm not going to do that. 
So we're in a situation now where the, the average citizen is afraid of the FBI. You know, I grew up with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., and I'm sure you did in the you, FBI. You run series. the FBI for protection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you made a really important point here that I've found out, I've, I've learned as, uh, as, as Chairman of Homeland Security, the Senate Oversight Committee, the reason you need a free press is because it is the press that probably gets the best information first because the witnesses feel at ease that their cover is not going to be blown, that they can remain anonymous going to whistleblower talk to the press. And so that's why press can uncover these stories. They don't trust that if you come to Congress that their identity is going to remain confidential. Uh, you go to the FBI and you know, at this point in time, it just kind of go, goes in the black hole. Um, so people have confidence in telling the story of the press, and that's why it's so important we have a free but largely unbiased press. And that's, that's a real tragedy of today's society is the, the mainstream media is so far to the left, as I keep saying, the communication department of the Democrat Party, of, of radical leftists. Uh, you don't have that middle trusted media that we kind of all collectively go to and go, okay, well, I mean, they're going to vet things. They're not, they're not going to print a story where they don't have you know, backup, where they haven't confirmed it you know, two or three times. Uh, we don't have journalists anymore. We have advocates, by and large. They, they don't, when they interview me, it's not an interview, it's an argument. I, I go on to Chuck Todd, and it's like, I, I can't, as a conservative, I can't even get a full sentence out often. I mean, you, com you compare how a Chuck Todd interviews me versus how he interviews, for example, Amy Klobuchar. Gives her a softball question, question sits back, and lets her talk for two, three minutes, uninterrupted. Me, he starts out with an incredibly biased piece, asks me an obnoxious question, won't listen to my answer, interrupts me. It's, it's really hard, quite honestly, answering a question when you're being interrupted all the time. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard to maintain a, you know, a line, of, line of reasoning. You can't get the context out. It's very difficult. Yeah. So again, I, I, I experienced it firsthand, so maybe I'm pretty sensitive to it, but just ask you know, the viewers, pay attention to the difference yeah. between, you know, on a Sunday show, how the Sunday show hosts interview a Democrat senator versus a Republican senator. It's, it's almost night and day. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, but being asked tough questions is not a problem. No, I'm not I mean, being be, allowed to but answer yeah, the question. Yeah, would you let me answer it? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah, and when, they, when you had CNN and the Washington Post and these others come out and call it all a baseless conspiracy theory, and, and then I called and contacted many of those writers to say, hey, you've got to have a clarification or retraction. I did not say, what the senator, he quoted me accurately, you, <clears throat> I did not say I saw a certain group there. I said, I surmised it was a certain group, and I didn't see that left-wing group do anything wrong. Probably the first time in my life I've ever said I didn't see a left-wing group do something yeah. wrong. And they, they warped it into this twisted conspiracy theory. The only ones who, uh, who made a correction was the Daily Mail, which is a British publication. Uh, but the, and then the Washington Post they had a blogger, and then the reporters just quoted from the blogger as though he was a serious reporter. Well, you, you mentioned the Brit Br British press. It's sad. You have to go to the British press to, for example, uh, really cover the Hunter Biden laptop. I know the New York Post's done some good job, but it's, you know, most of the, the news stories coming out of Daily Mail. 
Same thing in terms of COVID information. We've got to go to Public Health England. We've got to go to the UK or to the Israel to determine what's happening with the vaccines because our own CDC is not collecting the information we would need to really determine whether President Biden is actually accurate when he says this is a pandemic of the unvaxxed. Or to you know maybe um, politifact check him when he says that if you take this vax, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to get sick, you're not going to die, you're not going to go in ICU, you're not even going to get infected. That's what we said in July. So well, well, sorry, we, we we've got a lot of deaths of people that are fully vaccinated. When, when are you going to retract that? But it's just sad. I mean, we're we're literally having to go to other countries for their news for the information out of their health agencies because we're not getting the truth from our news media. We're not getting the truth from, from our federal health agencies. So, so a United States senator cannot get truthful information about the pandemic from federal oh, sources. No. I so mean, you have to go to the Israelis and the Brits and foreign countries to get accurate or something yeah, that's more I mean, trustworthy. I mean, going back to the you know, corrupt FBI investigation, I, I had subpoenaed the FBI director, Christopher Wray. I really didn't get squat out of him. It was just slow walked, and I've heard, I've had people tell me that they've admitted that they were slow walking the information. Uh, I've written dozens of oversight letters on COVID. I wrote, I think, over 15 oversight letters to Capitol Hill Police and Sergeant Arms on January 6th. You get non response responses when you get anything. Generally, you get nothing. Now, why would the FBI director slow walk a request from an oversight? senator who has direct responsibility. Because he doesn't want the truth out. He wants to protect his agency. I mean, he's wrecking his agency. So, so you had, people so, don't trust it so, so we had, I know we're bopping around here, but you know, so we had the Pfizer report from Michael Horowitz. And in there, Bill Priestap, one of the assistant directors of the FBI says, the FBI had no knowledge that there could be Russian disinformation steel dossier. In the same Pfizer report, and my staff uncovered these redacted footnotes that completely contradict that, 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 that show that the FBI knew as early as October 2016 that there, were, there was Russian disinformation contained in the Steele dossier. They knew for sure by January 2017. So in, in that, now, somebody made the decision to classify and redact those footnotes. I asked Michael Horowitz, who did that? Well, it was somebody higher up in the Justice Department FBI. There was nothing classified about that. It was just embarrassing to the agency. But fast forward to March 2018. Christopher Ray's been director for probably about a year. Now, again, they knew you know, Igor Danchenko or somebody like him was putting this information in the Steele dossier. They knew this in October of 2016. March of 2018, under Director Ray's leadership, the FBI comes in and briefs the Senate Intel Committee, who's investigating all this, and says, no, we, we've got confidence in the Steele dossier. And, and Danichenko is a Russian citizen. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, and this, he, but, was, he was under suspicion for being a Russian intelligence asset. But the FBI knew the Steele dossier wasn't worth the paper it was written on. They knew it in October 2016. And yet, Comey pretty well set up the Mueller investigation. I mean, did, did nobody say anything? I mean, yeah, I asked, I asked Chris Ferrace, say, by the way, do you know Michael Sussman, Director Ray? Uh, well, you know, kind of like, what, what is the meaning of no? Uh, th this is a very close community here. Mm -hmm. You know, people had to know that Michael Sussman was working 
for the Hillary Clinton campaign. He comes and talks to somebody in the FBI. Uh, I'm, hey, I'm just doing this as a citizen. You, you, got, you got to know about this Alpha Bank thing. I'm just doing this as a citizen. No, he's doing it as a member of the Clinton campaign, feeding false information. I mean, if you haven't read, I mean, your views, if you haven't read the uh, John Durham indictment of Michael Sussman, read it. It's very revealing. But it's also revealing, so it just lays out exactly how, how corrupt the Hillary Clinton campaign was, how they foisted this false narrative on the American public. I mean, the, the, the most destructive political dirty trick in US history. But what's even more outrageous is, where's the press covering it? Again, yeah. turn, the, turn the tables on this. Had this been the Trump campaign doing this to the Hillary Clinton campaign, and we're starting to find out about this now, you couldn't turn oh. on a TV program. You couldn't, you couldn't you know, look at a newspaper on a newsstand without that major headlines for weeks and months. Instead, we get all these other false stories that uh, Gerard Baker writes about. But they never correct. Just, you know, they get them in there. They, they pound the story away so it just comes inbred in the American uh, knowledge, population's knowledge, and then they just drive by and walk away and never correct it. And they're, yeah, and they're still, well, <laughs> I was at a trial with Judge Lamberth, who we talked about before, and, and somebody wanted to introduce the New York Times as a newspaper of record as evidence, and he said, that's garbage. So I'm not going to believe them. I'm not going to admit it as evidence. Yeah. But back on this, though, back on the FBI, by statute, the FBI's, one of its delineated jobs is to monitor and combat foreign propaganda and disinformation. But in this case, you're saying that the Bureau was, was whitewashing that foreign disinformation? Promoting I, it? I mean, again, this was directed from the very top of the FBI. You don't think they, again, we have proof that they knew that there were Russian, Russians affiliated with the Russian intelligence services. They were feeding into the Steele dossier. They knew it in October 2016 and told no one. You know, if it was I mean, a rogue agent or analyst, that person would have been sacked and indicted by now. Yeah, and, and then you've got the, the struck page texts talking about how their sister agencies are leaking like mad, scorn worried political. Um, man, that, that was written in December of 2016 as well. So again, there's a reason I've come to calling these agencies the deep state. They're, they're very deep. You know, who could President Trump trust? I mean, two weeks into his administration, somebody in his administration is leaking phone calls he had with two world leaders. Right. Well, then you had Colonel Vindman you know, do the same thing with the Zelenko uh, phone call. Right. That was all set up with Adam Schiff and, and his personnel. I mean, this is all, these things are all connected. Yeah, and it's, they're it's, all heroes and it's all a crime to, to it, criticize they're, yeah, them. Yeah, they're, they're all heroes and, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm the conspiracy theorist. Yeah. It's like, Everything is a baseless conspiracy theory right. if you or I say it, even if there's complete fa video evidence or anything else yeah, to so, so, so the press uses that as a pejorative, right? So right. conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorists and then misinformation, disinformation. Well, tell me exactly what I've said that's not true. Whether we're talking COVID, whether we're talking these investigations, you, rather than just say it's disinformation, tell me what's not true. Literally, we had Democrats create an intelligence product, get it classified, leak to the media, claiming that Senator Grassley and myself, I mean, the president pro tem of the Senate, okay, chairman of the Judiciary Finance Committee, 
that we were uh, soliciting and then disseminating Russian disinformation from this Andre uh, Durkash. I'd never heard of the guy, but they leaked to the media. We're, we're having to respond to all these, what are you talking about? And then what had, ended up happening is my ranking member, Senator Peters, entered that Russian disinformation into our investigatory record. And then, then he's got the, the balls to accuse me of pushing Russian disinformation when they're the ones that pushed it, they're the ones that made it up, and they're the ones that entered it into the record. As if it was evidence. Go, go figure. Now, trust me, that's never been corrected in the press. Wow. No, this, no, this is, again, I'm, I'm living this, I'm seeing, how, I'm seeing how it works. All the time. Uh, it's, it's dirty. It's corrupt. Is that why you haven't decided to run again? No. <laughs> Won't get into that further, but the, so, yeah, and it's, it's, it's back when, I remember when Pat Leahy was kicked off the Senate Intelligence Committee for leaking to the Washington Post, and you had Senator David Boren, who was the committee chairman, Democrat from Oklahoma, set it up to give every senator a, a memorandum, except for Senator Leahy, whose classified version had certain uh, oh, inconsistencies yeah. in it that were, that were leaked to the Post. They ended up in the Post, and that's how... But a fellow Democrat had Leahy booted off the committee. Now he's, you know, the, the most senior guy in the Senate. But he's. But the point being, you used to have this kind of discipline among the Democrats or the Republicans, for that matter, to be self-policing against uh, leaking secrets. Now there's a move so that every single uh, House and Senate office is going to have staffers with top-secret SCI clearance. Have you heard that? Well. Uh it's it's hard to get. I mean, you need you do need staff to kind of help you on this. But uh, you know, by the way, another example of the corruption is uh, I, I got briefed. I think it was August of uh, 2020. I think it was pretty, yeah, or no, August 2019. I think it was. And now it's probably 2020. And it was all about you know supposedly that you know I was a target of Russia. Okay, it's like. You're not telling me, okay, give me the intelligence behind this briefing. Uh, can't show you that. Who, who, who set up this briefing? You're not telling me anything that I'm not aware of. You know, why are you briefing me this? I knew, I knew why they were briefing me because they'd done it before. They'd set me up before to leak it to the media. They, they, is, they, they, did, they did this with my Andrei Teloshenko subpoena. It's the exact same thing. You know, they, 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 set up, they set up a briefing, and then they leak to the media and say, well, Johnson was warned about this stuff. But so you know, months later, lo and behold, the Washington Post has that leak. That, and know, which they are we talking about here? Well, the FBI. So, so you have the FBI, part of the executive branch, you know, supposed to be independent, setting up elected lawmakers yes. to leak against them yes. for political purposes. Yeah. I mean, they, they briefed me this that is, I was... This is a felony. This is felonious conduct by well, our but FBI. They're, but they're the ones in charge of the law. But anyway, so th that is, you would like to think, and it, it's really crucial for democracy, that our law enforcement is above reproach. They have yeah. credibility and integrity, and you can trust them. And what I found, certainly in my investigations, is we can't. I still don't think we can. It's a travesty. Our intelligence community, the same way. How about federal health agencies? I know we're going to kind of talk about these mandates and stuff. Where's the transparency? We don't have the information we really need on COVID. You know, one thing I'd like to state about this, too, is I wish everybody would admit there is so much we do not know about the coronavirus, about the 
about COVID as a disease, about COVID-19 vaccines. There's just so much we don't know. So as a result, you would think when you lack a lot of knowledge, that you'd exercise some caution, for example, in pushing a vaccine on everybody, including children who we do know, I mean, the science tells us, are at greater risk of the seasonal flu, and we don't force a vaccine in their arm for the flu than they are for COVID. And yet here we've got this just unbelievable push and pressure to vaccinate little children. And a complete denial, by the way, of the vaccine injuries. Yeah. And you treat the parents like they're criminals. Yeah. So again, the, the people pushing the mandates, this administration, the health agencies, the media, social media, they're denying three basic realities. The first one is they're denying natural immunity. And more and more science, because we're always told science, more and more science is showing it makes perfect sense that natural immunity would be strong and long-lasting. It often is. The natural immunity recognizes the entire virus versus the vaccine, only the spike protein, and there are variants that are evading, you know, Delta variant evading the vaccine right now. Uh, the second reality they're denying is that even if you get the vaccine, you can get seriously ill, you can die. You can transmit the disease, which completely blows the reason for having a mandate to begin with. And the other denial, and this is almost the biggest tragedy, is denying vaccine injuries. You know, I'm in contact with people. I mean, it's, it's obvious that it's the vaccine that caused their paralysis or the death of their loved one. There's no other explanation for it. Mm -hmm. we, we have 18,000 deaths reported in the VAERS system. On average, over the last 26 years, for the seasonal flu vaccine, it's 78 deaths. 78 deaths for the seasonal flu per year. We're up to 18,000 10 months into this thing. And the CDC is still saying, well, nothing to see here. Well, there's no evidence. By the way, 5,600 of those worldwide deaths occur on days zero, one, or two. Wow. And, and, and we're just supposed to deny all these... Re I published this, and, and sorry, C-SPAN, you probably get censored now. You may get pulled off YouTube. I get suspended. And again, I, by, by the way, I get lied about. You know, for example, the, the, when I got suspended by YouTube, uh, the article written in The Hill said that Senator Johnson said the vaccine was not safe. I never said that. I did say it's not as safe as we hope and, all hoped and prayed it would be. And even the CDC admits that six women died of blood clots from the Johnson Johnson vaccine. Okay, so I think we, it's a true statement. Sure. We would like to say it was 100% safe, right? So it's not as safe as we all hoped it would be. And then I just quote these figures from the CDC's own safety surveillance websites and that gets, again, the pejorative of, I'm spreading misinformation. Well, what's misinformation? I'm just telling the truth. I'm, I'm conveying the truth that's not fitting in with their narrative, that these things are 100% safe, 100% effective. They're not. I wish they were, but they're not. And as a result, the mandates are pointless. And when you take a look at the freedom that we have lost during this pandemic. It is profound, and we're just not awakened to that. We're just not, we're just not real. Too many of our fellow citizens have accepted. And those of us that are pushing back, and more and more are, I mean, we're vilified. Mm -hmm. We're censored. The platform. We're suppressed. You know, we're mocked. We're ridiculed. It's like we're, we're, just, we're just trying to fight for individual freedom and, and individual health autonomy. So, so coming in here to do the interview, I asked the Capitol Police officer who wasn't wearing a mask, uh, do I have to wear a mask coming in here? 
And she kind of rolled her eyes and laughed and said, kind of, sort of, not really. And so there's no mask mandate within the Capitol complex. So is Congress, are members of Congress and their staffs exempt from these vaccine mandates, or are, are they also mandated to get the vaccine? No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're exempt. That's a dirty little secret around here. Congress exempts itself from all kinds of laws. I don't think it's right, but again, I, I don't think anybody should be subject to the vaccine mandate, so I'm, I'm glad we are exempt. I, I wouldn't, you know, I just would stop coming here if we, I mean, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I had COVID. I was very lucky I had asymptomatic COVID. You know, there's a question that's never asked. How, how do you explain 40 to 50% of people that were asymptomatic? Mm. I mean, was there already some level of natural immunity from some other similar type of coronavirus? Which would kind of indicate that natural immunity is probably pretty effective if you had a coronavirus that you don't even really know about that prevent you from getting overly sick. Another really big question we should be asking is, did our response to COVID work? I mean, I, I realize Anthony, COVID is, uh, Anthony Fauci is the COVID god. 760,000 deaths, $6 trillion in spending that we don't have, the human toll, the economic devastation, the isolation, the increased suicides, the increased uh, overdoses. You know, we, we're at, I think, 225 deaths per 100,000. Sweden's at 145. We rank, I think, 23 out of 200 countries, and that's a, you don't want a high rank here mm -hmm. in terms of deaths as a percentage of your population. Um, it's, no, it's been a miserable failure, and yet you have a good percentage of our population still views Anthony Fauci is the authoritative figure. You know, he claims he, he, claims he is science. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a miserable failure. It's like, America, wake up. I mean, it, this has been a miserable failure. Quit listening to these people. They're not telling you the truth. They're not giving you the full story. They're not being transparent. So for the, for the average citizen, I mean, we've gone through uh, law enforcement, sort of counterintelligence as a, as a FBI offshoot, uh, Homeland Security, um, health. Who can, who can the citizens trust anymore to, where can you go as citizens Themselves. now? Themselves. Take, take control it's, of your own life. Don't, don't look to the federal government to solve your problems because they're not capable of doing so. I mean, the proper approach to handling this pandemic would have been pouring all kinds of time and effort and resources into early treatment. Mm -hmm. Instead, what the Fauci's of the world did, they sabotaged early treatment. Wouldn't, wouldn't even consider things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, even though to give you the same FAERS data, the FDA adverse events reporting system, on average over 26 years, ivermectin, 15 deaths. Hydroxychloroquine, 64 deaths. Again, that, that's compared to 18,000 deaths for the COVID vaccine that they're pushing. Or remdesivir, 3,000 bucks a treatment, 1,499 deaths. Mm. And, and, so, and, and they're denigrating ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. And I'm just saying, why not let people have the right to try. Why not give it a shot? They're do abusing s people who do want something. to try it, 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 They're abusing physicians who are trying to find an independent solution. Oh, they're threatening with their license. Yeah, yeah, so that's why physicians won't touch it because they'll have their license pulled. Yeah. Something that worked for decades to get, they could lose their livelihood. So you, so you find this the same thing in our federal law enforcement and Homeland Security bureaucracy and intelligence services where people on the inside who are contrarians or they have a different point of view or they're saying the intelligence does not support the conclusions that are being made in public. They're getting the same type of harassment, persecution, threats of loss of livelihood, having their security clearances pulled, which is the worst punishment of all. 
Getting purged. Across the board. Know, yeah, just, you know, getting sidelined, uh, awful assignments to just get them to quit. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a serious problem. Uh, you know, I, I've, got a, I've got a real, I've never been a fan of the federal government. I'm far less of a fan today. And, uh, you know, my, my advice to the citizens is concentrate on local government that has, you know, concentrate on your education system. Make sure that your kids aren't indoctrinated the way they're being indoctrinated today. Stop looking at the federal government to solve your problems. All, all the federal government's doing is mortgaging your children's future. Yeah. So when they're trying to censor you, like the average citizen should find out what they're trying to censor so that maybe that's getting closer to the unauthorized truth, as the Soviets would say. Well, just take everything you hear with a grain of salt from, bo from both sides. Listen, there is mis misinformation on the full, the full spectrum. Of, no shortage. Okay, there, there really is. So, and that's what's so unfortunate about not having a mainstream media in the middle that is upholding journalistic standards of checking and double-checking and triple-checking before they run with a story and push and promote a story that is so unbelievably disruptive to our political process. And that's what the whole Russian hoax was. I mean, take a look at what happened. I mean, I've said it. I believe this. Because the press the press pushed this false narrative and other false narratives. You know, it culminated in January 6th. That, that's why Trump supporters were so ticked off, why they came here to protest. It just, yeah. again, they just get pushed in their face. You didn't see that. I mean, yeah. you know, even though observers couldn't observe, even though, you know, according to the Bader Carter Commission, the greatest threat for fraud is absentee ballots. We doubled absentee ballots while we re relaxed all the controls. Yeah. But we're not supposed to talk about that. It's all nothing, nothing to see here. No. And if you look at the State Department's own guidelines for monitoring international elections, they say that that's the biggest source of fraud and that, that the U.S. should be very suspicious of developing countries that use absentee ballots, mail-in ballots, non-voter ID type thing where we have other people you know, dip their finger in and show their national ID to vote. They, those same folks don't want it done here. But that's the official U.S. government standard where we would sanction other countries for voting this way. Right. Even Mexico requires voter ID and does not allow mail-in ballots except under extreme circumstances if you're sick or you're working abroad and you have to physically show up to apply. So our own, Jimmy Carter's own uh, voting standards at the Carter Center, which is sort of the, 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 the authoritative place right. supposedly for, elect, for clean elections, our elections don't even meet the Jimmy Carter Center's standards for clean elections. And, and the Democrats are pushing a relaxation of even those standards. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. I mean, we would always say you have to have a nonpartisan election commission. Democrats are trying to pass a, a bill that would make it a partisan election commission. Well, how's that going to work? Not very well. With centralized funding and therefore centralized control. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and taxpayer funding of elections. Um, but no, it, it's... People need to understand that they're, unfortunately, too many of their fellow citizens are willingly giving away their freedom for a very false sense of security, a very false sense. So, you know, my, my recommendation is, you know, get your own house in order, uh, concentrate on your local government, your state government, uh, trying as much as possible over time. It's going to take, this is taking decades to build up to create this beast. Uh, but over time, bring more of that governing authority back to local government. I mean, that's, that's the vision of our founding fathers, government close to the governed, where it's more accountable, it's more efficient, it's more effective. I mean, this, I mean, I, again, I, I, as we've seen with the COVID response, I mean, open your eyes. It's been a miserable failure. 
quit listening to the people who have prescribed yeah. all these things that didn't work. And come okay. on and support your fellow citizens who are actually trying to do the right thing by exercising local control, whether it's a school board, whether it's supporting your local police, whether it's keeping, keeping law and order in your own town and keeping things clean. Because you can hold local, local officials accountable quite easily as opposed to federal ones. Well, we've he, got about a minute left. And, and heed he, what Justice Brandeis said in, a, I think, a 1930 opinion uh, about the controversies over misinformation in the public. He said, where, where, where that is important, the solution is more speech, not less. So if you're concerned about misinformation, don't support censorship. Support, support the flourishing of free speech. It's, it's the best anecdote. It's, it's the best solution to misinformation and disinformation. But that's not what the path we're on right now. People like me are being censored, we're being suppressed, we're being lied about, what we say is distorted, um, but it's being distorted by mainstream media that have, that have the power. And by the way, on the whole COVID I issue, whether we're talking about early treatment, the people who have suppressed this will never admit they are wrong. And unfortunately, they have the power to help ensure that they're never proven wrong. So that's what we're up against. Those of us who are trying to push early treatment that are just asking the questions that are using government's own information to ask questions we're not allowed to ask them, we're up against people that will never admit they're wrong and they've got the power that's going to be difficult to prove them wrong. And people need to take that in consideration as well. But thank you for what you've done. Thank you for having the courage to be an eyewitness, uh, uh, an eyewitness to what happened on January 6th and, and trying to promote the truth. Well, thank you for giving voice to those who saw what they saw. And so, Senator Ron Johnson, thanks for joining us at the Center for Security Policy, and we'll be following very closely how your investigations move ahead. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to today's show. Not Cleared is a project of the Center for Security Policy. We want to hear from you, so please email us at questions at notcleared.org so we can get in touch with you.